This week on Wednesday, I was reading through the scriptures for just personal quiet time, and I came across Psalm 71, and I read this passage. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. Who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. The reason this passage jumped off the page toward me is that during this week I was trying to write a sermon about this very topic, about this very idea that we go through troubles in life, many and bitter, and it's God who leads us into them and through them. But in the midst of that, the thing that is our hope and our salvation is God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. Now when we say the word faithful in applying it to God, what we mean is that God never takes a day off. That God never slumbers. That God never sleeps. That God never stops looking after us. That every moment of every day, He is watching us. That every second of every moment, He is for us. That He's always doing what is absolutely perfect and right and good. He's always fighting for us. He's always on our side. He's always loving us. Never once has He abandoned us. Never once has He let go. Never once is he not there. Never once has he rejected us. That's what we mean when we say that God is faithful. And in the midst of troubles, the hope and the salvation for every believer in Jesus is that God is faithful. And that's the message that God wants to communicate to us today. So if you would, please take a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, page 983. In just a minute, we're going to look at verses 12 through 19. While you're turning, I'll remind you that 1 Peter 4, one of the themes that keeps coming out in 1 Peter is the idea of suffering, and especially in 1 Peter 4, as we think about how to endure suffering. Now the problem is, when we hear the word suffering, especially in the context of the New Testament, what it often conjures up or brings to mind is the idea of being beaten or imprisoned or killed for being a believer in Jesus. And while I want to say that is part of what God is referring to, that God, when he thinks about or speaks about suffering, is talking about something much broader than this. That the way the psalmist puts it is very helpful. Trouble, difficulty, stress, hard things in life. If, for example, God's asked you to go on a trip and you have a fear of flying or you're afraid to leave your family behind and it's God who's asked you to do that, that's what he's referring to when he talks about troubles, many and bitter, that God has led us into. If you as a parent have decided, look, 
My children are not going to have cell phones at the same time that everybody else in their class is getting a cell phone. And just because everybody else is doing doesn't mean it's going to be right for my children. And you face pressure from your children and from other parents. Why aren't you doing this? And you feel like this is difficult. Look, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm just trying to follow God. There is trouble and difficulty in trying to walk that road. That's what God's talking about when he talks about troubles. If you're that child and you're not getting a cell phone and you're being made fun of by kids at school and they're wondering why your parents are the way that they are, but you've decided, look, I don't understand it, but I'm going to submit and obey and you're experiencing trouble because of that, that's what Peter is talking about. If you've decided you're not going to sacrifice your children at the altar of sports and everybody around you is trying to encourage you and push you and egg you on and you feel great peer pressure to do that, that's trouble of trying to follow God and to say, look, I'm trying to follow you, Lord. Why does this have to be so stressful? That's what Peter is talking about. If you have financial obligations that you've not walked away from even though the world said you should or could and as a result you're struggling financially, that's what God is talking about when you're trying to live rightly and are experiencing troubles and feel like God led me into this. God, you're the one who tells me to be financially responsible. I'm trying to do this and my life is difficult. If you feel that God is leading you to have to confess a sin to another person and it feels humiliating to have to do that and it's hard to humble yourself or God's asking you to confront another person about sin in their life and you think this isn't going to go well. I don't want to do this. I'm not confrontational. This isn't how I want to do things. But you walk through that, the stress and the trouble that you experience in that time. That's what Peter is talking about. That's what Peter is talking about. If God's told you not to take matters with your ex-husband into your own hands, but to simply be still, let God do what he's going to do. And God keeps telling you that. And it's hard and it's difficult. And you wake up every morning and you, everything in you says, do this, do that. And you say, no, I'm going to wait. That's what Peter is talking about. Please do not listen to what first Peter is saying and read word suffering and think that only counts if you're being beaten or jailed for your faith. That is part of it, but it's so much broader. The psalmist says, I have seen many troubles that the Lord has led me into. And if we don't realize that many of the troubles we're experiencing, the Lord has led us into, we won't recognize how faithful he's going to be to us in the midst of them. So please, when Peter talks about suffering, Don't narrow it down just to the stories of persecution that you hear about that might happen other places in the world or at other periods of time. The troubles that you and I experience for trying to live as Christians in a non-Christian world, trying to obey God, that's what Peter is talking about. And it's in the midst of the troubles and difficulties of life that God wants to speak to us about his faithfulness. Verse 12, 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The key passage for us this morning is verse 19. Verse 19, and in verse 19, Peter refers to God as our creator. And the reason he uses the language of creator is Peter is wanting to remind us that God is the source of life. That God is the one who has created life. God is the one who has created you. God is the one who has created me. And even though his creation is marred by sin, even though his creation is not functioning exactly the way he wanted it to function at the beginning, we are not to take from that that somehow he has been displaced from his position of ruling and ordaining what happens in this world. And Peter's point is, if we are suffering according to God's will, meaning that as the creator, he has led us, his created beings, through periods of trouble, like the psalmist says, the Lord made me see many and bitter troubles. This is why it's so important for Peter that we differentiate between the suffering that happens because we have sinned because we're thieves, we're murderers, we're meddling in other people's lives. God has something to say about that, but that's not what this passage is talking about. And Peter has differentiated between the kinds of troubles we experience because we're living a life of disobedience from all the rest of the troubles we have in our lives, the troubles that we might experience from a health point of view or losing a loved one or relationship things that we're experiencing difficult in or parents who are uh, acting in a certain way that's causing stress on our life and we're trying to obey God, we're trying to follow him. That brings about trouble and Peter is trying to say, look, that's happening in your life because God is causing it to happen. God is leading you into those places. In no way are we saying that God is responsible for the sin that is being done to you. But God has allowed that person who is sinning against you to be present in your life. And God has allowed you to go into this experience. And Peter's point is, as we've got to have the proper orientation on who God is, when we experience trouble, not because of stuff we've done wrong, but simply because we're trying to live a Christian life in a non-Christian world, Peter says, realize that God is the one who is causing us and leading us through these seasons of trouble because he is our creator. And Peter says, in the midst of those seasons of trouble, that the key idea is that he is our faithful creator. That he is faithful. There are two ways that Peter tells us about God's faithfulness in this passage. The first is in verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve Gibson uh, preached and led us through the idea of the Holy Spirit resting upon believers in the Old Testament. That this is really Old Testament language that was used, and it was used about Moses and the judges, Saul, David, Elijah, Elisha, that the Holy Spirit came upon people, rested on them for a specific task that they were called to accomplish. That when God gave someone in the Old Testament a difficult task, he caused his spirit to come upon them or to rest upon them. And God's spirit provided guidance and strength and encouragement and wisdom so that they could accomplish the task that God gave them. And Pastor Steve did a great job of explaining that when we move into the new covenant, when we move into the New Testament, because of the death of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins, the the way in which the spirit interacts with us, the language shifts. It shifts from the spirit coming upon us to the spirit indwelling us. That God's Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit lives within you and that he's always with you. And on good days and on bad days, no matter what, God's Spirit is always indwelling us. Now, Peter has referred to that fact earlier in the epistle, and so he's completely on board with that. But in this passage, it's interesting that he reverts to the language that is used in the Old Testament which is the Spirit coming to rest upon a person for a season so that they can do the thing that God has called them to do. And the reason why I think he uses the language of resting on is because he's thinking of two particular events that he was present at that happened in the New Testament in which God's Spirit is said to rest on someone. God's Spirit fills and indwells all believers. But there are two stories in the New Testament where God's Spirit is said to rest on someone. The first is Jesus' baptism. Is that although Jesus is fully and completely God, has all of the wisdom, all of the power, all of the attributes of God, At his baptism, as he is preparing for his public ministry, three years of very difficult suffering, trouble, and trial, God sends, the God the Father sends his spirit to rest on Jesus at his baptism, indicating that even though Jesus has all of the power and the wisdom that he needs, he needs the Father with him in a special way to provide guidance, encouragement, help, direction, and fellowship. And at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon him to commission him for this ministry and the task that he's going to do over the next three years. The second time in the New Testament that the language of the Spirit resting on someone happens is in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the church. It is true at Acts chapter 2 that the whole, all believers in Jesus were filled with the Spirit and this was a sign that the Spirit was coming to indwell everybody who was a follower of Jesus. But it also says not only were they filled with the Spirit, but tongues of fire which represented or symbolized the Holy Spirit came to rest 
on them. And the idea was not just that the Spirit was going to indwell them, but that God was calling the early church to a very difficult task of establishing the church. There was going to be much suffering and much trouble, and God was sending His Spirit to rest upon the believers so that they would have God's guidance, God's protection, God's encouragement, God's power in a unique way. And so when Peter says, when you suffer, you're blessed because God's spirit rests on you. He's not referring to the fact that you're blessed because we have God's spirit living within us. That's true, but it's true of every believer. What Peter is saying is, is when you and I are led by God into a season of difficulty, into some suffering or to some trial, God's spirit comes to rest on us in a unique way, in a way like it happened in the Old Testament, where God's spirit is on us in power and in glory, where God gives us encouragement and guidance and wisdom in a unique way, just like it was for Jesus, just like the spirit was for the early church. Peter's talking about something above and beyond the normal indwelling of the Spirit. And the point is, is the reason why God is faithful in the midst of suffering is that when we go through trouble or trial or difficulty, He sends His Spirit to rest on us in a unique way. He gives us power and guidance and encouragement and help in a way that just normal, average, everyday life as Christians doesn't happen. That when everything is fine and we're experiencing, we still have the Holy Spirit in us. We still have God's Spirit helping us. But in the middle of trouble, God sends His Spirit to rest on us in a unique way. That's why if we had eyes to see, you could look around this room And everybody who's a believer in Jesus, you could see the Spirit living in their soul. But those who are here this morning who are in a season of trouble, you could look around and see the Spirit resting on specific individuals. Not because they're special, but because they have been called to endure trouble for the sake of of following Jesus and God says, I'm going to be faithful to you because if I call you into something difficult, I'm going to send my spirit on you in a unique and powerful way. Do you know, this is the reason why when we go through troubles, we feel so alone. Do you know why that is? Because Satan is lying to us and he always lies to us when the opposite is true. It's because at the moment of trouble, God could not be any closer to us. And so Satan tries to lie to us and tell us that we're all by ourselves. The exact opposite is true. Never has God been closer. Never is God more powerfully present. Never is God more willing to provide guidance and encouragement than when he leads us into trouble because he sends his spirit to be upon us in a special and powerful way. One of the hardest things in my life and probably the, most har- the hardest thing in my job is preaching. Some of you may think you just kind of walk up here and for me it just comes naturally and you start talking and it's a sermon. There are some pastors for whom preaching is not that difficult for them. For me, it is a great uh, and difficult thing to do. I'm not going to bore you with the details. Many of you won't even be able to relate, but I'm betting there's something in your life. Maybe it's a health situation that you've been asked to endure. Maybe it's financial and you just think that every day it's always constant financial stress. Maybe it's the role of being single in the kingdom of God. 
Maybe it's a family relationship that is constantly on your mind and always causing stress. Whatever that is, that thing that's always with you, that's always nagging at you, that feels like a burden that you're constantly carrying. That for me is preaching. Now, I wouldn't change anything about it because it's in preaching that I feel God's spirit come to rest upon me in a unique way. It's not that he's not with me in the rest of ministry. He is. But when it comes to preaching, because it's so difficult, because it doesn't come naturally, because it's constantly a struggle, because every Monday I seem to come in and think, Lord, I told them everything I know. I don't have anything else to say. (laughs) Because I say, Lord, I told them all the stories I can think of. I don't have anything else to share with them. Or I come in and I read a passage and I read a verse that says, it's hard for the righteous to be saved. And I think, I don't even know what that means. How am I supposed to stand up and tell a bunch of people what it means? But in the midst of it, I wouldn't trade anything because God shows up week after week after week. For eight years, he's never once not showed up day after day after day. He shows up and explains texts that I never had any idea what they meant before. He gives me illustrations that I never would have thought of before. He comes and brings encouragement. He brings affirmation. He lets me see him at work. He gives me strength and energy. He tells me when I'm headed in the wrong direction. He reminds me that I'm starting to get overly confident about a sermon in between second and third service. And I better not do that or it's going to go poorly. Everything, he constantly shows up. And he even told me, it's not going to get any easier. I thought, well, you know, you just, you get going with it and then pretty soon you get, you get good at it and it just kind of comes easily. And he said, it will for some people, but not for you. <laughs> and he said, it's because this is where I'm going to show myself faithful. It's because you're going to need me every week. You're not going to get to the point that it's going to come easily. And you're going to need me every, and that's how I will prove to you that I'm faithful. Because if you just go through something for a little while and then you get good at it and you don't need it, well, you don't need faithfulness then. But if you've got a health issue that will not go away, if you've got financial struggles that will not go away, if you've got a person in your life who is a thorn in your flesh that will not go away, when you need God every moment of every day, every week of the year, every year of your life, then God has the chance to show himself to be faithful. And the way he shows himself to be faithful is in those moments, his spirit comes to rest on you and you see a difference and you go, well, it's in my weakness that he shows up. It's when I'm being asked to do this thing that I'm like, Lord, please, can I not just have a break and he shows up and he gives you power and strength and then you realize he's faithful he's faithful day after day week after week year after year and Peter says God shows himself to be faithful in the midst of troubles and trials because he sends his spirit in a unique way and he shows that he's the one who does it there's a second way that God shows his faithfulness in the midst of trouble And that comes out of these confusing verses in verses 17 and 18 where it says, it's hard for the righteous to be saved. If you're a brand new Christian, I want you to think back about all the stuff God had to do to get you to the point of accepting him by faith. And if you've been a Christian for a while, I want you to think back to all the ways in which this Christian walk could have gone poorly. I want to think back to the ways in which you wanted to throw in the towel. 
the seasons in which you almost made a decision that could have been an absolute train wreck for you or your family, but God showed up and wouldn't let you do it. Or the times in which you made the decision and it was an absolute train wreck and God showed up and rescued you out of it. I want you to think back to the times in which harm could have come to you, but God didn't let it. Or the seasons in which you got angry with God or discouraged with God, but he fought through all of that. Or the times in which you wandered away from God and you sinned and you didn't want anything to do with him, but he kept coming after you and he kept pursuing you and he kept loving you. Think of the times in which you experienced uh, his freeing power from the fact of pride or selfishness or lust or people pleasing or doubt or whatever it was and that you saw the power of sin in your life, but God showed up and fought through it. God showed up and rescued you out of it. It's not just you kind of got saved when you decided. It's that he keeps saving you day after day after day and week after week after week. He keeps showing up. He keeps wrestling uh, the stuff out of your life. Look back and think how many different ways could it have gone badly. Think about it. What are the odds that we're all going to be sitting here today? Every one of us who's a believer in Jesus can look back at some point or something that says, I shouldn't be here this morning. I should have thrown this whole thing away. God should have thrown me away. Sin should have destroyed me. My life should have ended. I should have abandoned everything. Why didn't it happen? Because God is faithful. It's hard for the righteous to be saved. That's what that means. It means that it's not just simply enough to simply say, I accept Jesus by faith. That is true. But now God has got to fight for you day after day to bring you safely home. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That's good for us. It's hard for him. It's work. It's hard for the righteous to be saved. But he accomplishes it because he's faithful. And when we're faithless, when we're angry, when we walk away, when we have sin that has been done to us, when we experience abuse, when we experience betrayal, any of these things could destroy us and destroy our faith, but God will not and has not let it happen. When I read this passage, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories that I heard. It's from a preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He's one of my favorite preachers. The story was told a long time ago. But it reminds me of what Peter's trying to say, as well as the warning that he has for those who don't believe. This is the story that Charles Spurgeon told. I think I have reminded you before of the father who had prayed for many years for his sons and daughters, yet they were not converted. But all became exceedingly worldly. His time came to die. He gathered his children about his bed, hoping to bear such a witness for Christ at the last that it might be blessed to their conversion. But unhappily for him, he was in deep distress of soul. He had doubts about his own interest in Christ. He was one of God's children who are put to bed in the dark. This being above all the worst fear of his mind, that he feared his dear children would see his distress and be prejudiced against religion. The good man was buried and his sons came to the funeral and God heard the man's prayer that very day. For as they went away from the grave, one of them said to the other, Brother, our father died a most unhappy death. He did, brother. I was very much astonished at it, for I never knew a better man than our father. Ah, said the first brother, if a holy man such as our father found it a hard thing to die, 
it will be a dreadful thing for us who have no faith when our time comes. That same thought had struck them all and drove them to the cross. And so the good man's prayer was heard in a mysterious manner. It's hard for the righteous to be saved. I'm sure this man was a good, godly Christian and he got to the end of his life and he gave way to doubt. But the doubt didn't endanger his eternal soul. God showed up and in the midst of it, God was faithful even when the man couldn't see it. And not only that, God was so faithful, I think God led him into that season of doubt so that he could use that doubt to save his children and to answer the man's prayer request. And at the end of it all, you look at the mystery and you say, how in the world could this have worked? The only answer is God is faithful. And even after the man was dead, God answered his prayer. That's how faithful God is. Is that he had prayed and prayed and prayed and God said, I will take care of it. And he took care of it in the most mysterious way possible. But never once did God abandon that situation. Not in the middle of the man's doubt. Not in the middle of death. Not in all the worldliness of his kids. God simply would not let the situation go. That's the word we need to hear in the midst of trouble and suffering, is that God is faithful. Now there's a response that Peter says is appropriate to the faithfulness of God. It's verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, meaning those of you who are here this morning, who are walking through a season of trouble, those of you who've been asked to accomplish a difficult assignment by God, those of you who are struggling at work because you're trying to live out your Christian faith, those of you who are having a hard time at school because you're trying to be a Christian, those of you who are fighting against the power of sin and experiencing uh, the struggle that it is against death and sin, those of you who've lost a loved one, those of you who have been assigned by God a difficult hell situation, Peter says, for you and I, We should commit ourselves to our faithful creator. The word for commit is a word that comes out of the realm of hospitality. It was used when a meal was set before someone. So when you invited people over to your home and you set a meal out for them, that's this word. And literally what Peter is saying is, is those who are in a season of trouble or difficulty or trial should present themselves or set themselves before God, before their faithful creator, entrust ourselves, place ourselves in his hands because he's faithful. He's not going to take a day off. He's not going to abandon his post. He's not going to be unloving at any moment. He's not going to ever do anything except what's yours in your best interest. And Peter says, put yourself literally in his hands. And so what we're going to do this morning help facilitate that as we don't have any of the normal stage extensions up here this is God's house and God is uniquely present in his house and if you're in a season of trouble if you're going through a difficult time I'm going to encourage you we're going to be singing uh, during that time to simply come and place yourself in God's hands come down here to the front kneel at there's nothing magical about the steps but what there is magic about is obeying the obedience to come forward. And when you come down here, I want you to kneel here and I want you simply to say in your heart to the Lord, here I am. Notice Peter doesn't say present the situation to him. He says, put yourself 
in his hands. Because I don't know how God's going to resolve your situation, but I do know this. He will work all things together for your good. And so what you do is you come down here and you place yourself in God's hands and simply say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how this is all going to work. I don't even know what you're up to. But you've been faithful. You've been faithful in my life. You've brought me safely thus far. I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to put my life into your hands. Accept it.